Well, I'm excited today that we're journeying into a new series called Let's Not Forget the Fine Print. And uh, you're probably like, well, I'm not too sure if I'm excited yet, but uh, give me a few minutes and I'll let you know. So um, the idea that there are a lot of people in history that we know and a lot of people in history that we don't know, um, but everybody together is what makes this move of God happen. And so I don't have a key scripture for us to stand and read together today. You'll see why as we go. We're kind of reading a big story that unfolds as we read and dig into the scripture this morning. But regardless, if you would, let's stand and honor God's word to us this morning and let's pray as we jump in. Is that cool? All right. So Father God, we just thank you. We say your word to us this morning is um, like nectar. It's sweetness to us, God. We want to hear from you this morning. Not Pastor Sean or anybody else, but we want to hear from you. So God, speak to us this morning, God, and as a result of being here, I just believe that we're going to walk out of here different, um, encountering you this morning. In your mighty name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So I, I want to share a few names with you to jump off today. Is that all right? Um, if I say the name Sir Edmund Hillary, does that ring a bell with anybody here? Anybody know that name, sir? Okay, we've got one, two, three. Oh, well, okay, somebody that was here at the first service, you're, good job. <laughs> okay, so three, maybe four people. Um, so Sir Edmund Hillary, going once, going twice, okay. Most people know this name as being the first human being to ever set foot on the highest point on planet Earth. The first man to summit Mount Everest in the Himalayas. Um, Sir Edmund Hillary, his name was, of course, Edmund Hillary before he set foot on top of Mount Everest. He was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II after that accomplishment happened on May 28, 1953, and that's maybe why some of us don't remember much about it. But um, the expedition was John Hunt's expedition, the ninth expedition to Everest. And so these expeditions would take a long time, and they would involve a lot of people. But eventually, as this was kind of ramping up, there was this sprint to, to who's going to make it to the summit first. There was this race. And finally, on May 28th at 1130 in the morning, Edmund Hillary is known as the one who set foot first, 29,028 feet above sea level. A pretty amazing accomplishment. Now, this, this photo that we're going to put up on the screen is the one that went around the world after this happened. And I wonder if anybody knows who that guy is. Anybody know who that guy is in the photo right there? It's not Sir Edmund. Anybody know? Okay. Going once, going twice, just for the record. I did not see any hands <laughs> for the person that is in this photo. Now, since, since not too many people knew Sir Edmund Hillary, it's probably not surprising that you wouldn't know this guy's name either. This, this guy, his name is Tenzing Norgay. Everybody say hello to Tenzing Norgay. Yeah, okay, good job. He is a Nepali Sherpa who is part of the John Hunt expedition. And the reason why he is standing there and the picture that was circulated around um, on top of Mount Everest is because Edmund Hillary, as the two of them got to the top, took Tenzing Norway's photo. And the reason he took his photo, he had first handed the camera to Tenzing, 
um, but Tenting didn't know how to operate a camera, and so it got handed back to him, and so this is the first picture that we see, and the only picture that we see from that expedition. It was handed back to uh, Sir Edmund, and he took this picture, so we don't actually have a photograph of Sir Edmund Hillary standing on top of Mount Everest that day, so if he did or didn't, we just kind of have to trust Tenzing Norgay um, to let us know whether he really made it to the summit or not that day, but these, these expeditions... They would take weeks, they would actually take months at a time, and interestingly enough, in the uh, early part of this expedition, Sir Edmund Hillary, he fell into this deep crevice, and he was reeling down to the bottom about to lose his life. I mean, you can understand that this would be a dangerous situation. He had fallen and he could not get up, and um, when Tenzing Norgay um, was able to secure a rope on his pickaxe, can you imagine this? Get this, this, this scene in your mind. He put a rope on his ice axe, and he saved Hillary's life. Now, Hillary got hoisted up out of this thing, and he said, I want this guy on my team. If we're going to the top, I want this guy with me, was his response when that happened. And so they sent them together. They ascended 11.30 in the morning. The news made it back um, to the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II on July 2nd, just a few weeks afterward. There was this big celebration all across England. Hillary comes home. He and John Hunt, who led the expedition, they get knighted. Um, Time magazine said that one of the 100 most influential people of the 20th century is Hillary. And now, when anyone climbs Mount Everest, the last 40 meters, that kind of sheer rock face, you'll see a picture of it on the screen here that you have to scramble up, that's called the Hillary Step. And um, it's, it's in honor of Hillary, in honor of him. But most people today don't remember Sir Edmund Hillary's name, and even less know Tenzing Norgay's name. And almost nobody knows that they were supported by three others who helped them in that last dash to the summit. And their names were Eng Nua, Alfred Gregory, and George Lowe, along with a 400-person team, 362 porters, and 20 Sherpas. Okay, that's how you become the first person to stand on the tallest place in the world. But here's the thing, history has a way of wanting to push one person to the top, but, but in, in every story, and there are, but there are a lot of people that are in the fine print. And that's where we're going. In the, in the fine print of Mount Everest is Tenzing Norgay, who might have actually been the first person to summit Mount Everest. We might ever know, never know. Another name, just fast-forwarding a little bit in history, I want to pull out this name and see how many we've got for takers uh, on this one this morning. Anybody know the name William Wilberforce? I'm assuming we have a few more. Uh, okay, just a handful of you. Um, that's, it's maybe a, just a couple more than we had for uh, Sir Edmund Hillary. William Wilberforce, as uh, probably those of you that raise your hands as you know him, he is credited with being the leader of the movement to abolish the African slave trade. And um, he obviously is a very big player in that. Um, but if I were to mention the name Thomas Clarkson this morning, um, would we get any takers on Thomas Clarkson? We, all right, very good. Um, and so uh, let me tell you a little bit about this guy. Thomas Clarkson, a lot of people know the name William Wilberforce. There, there was a movie that uh, actually just came out not too long ago kind of telling his story. Thomas Clarkson, um, uh, if we back up a little bit, he was born in 1760, 19 years of age, he ends up at Cambridge. And in 1779, at 19 years old, he writes an essay, and he entered it into competition. 
this essay won this competition, and the essay had as its subject the slave trade. And the essay won, but this theme kind of stuck in his heart, 19 years old, okay? A few years later, in 1785, he translated the essay into English, and so now it's getting this broader audience. Uh, more people are hearing it, uh, you know, people who uh, maybe couldn't read Latin, but they can read English. And people were beginning to become aware. And so in 1789, Thomas Clarkson, he formed the Committee for the Abolition of the African Slave Trade. He was joined by Granville Sharp, another person in the fine print of history that hardly anybody knows. Josiah Wedgwood and Clarkson then approached a member of parliament because they needed some weight behind this movement, right? And so this person that they approached was a guy by the name of William Wilberforce, who was an Anglican and who was eager to join their cause. Now in 1791, 12 years later after the first essay was written by Clarkson, the first legislation was introduced by William Wilberforce and it was soundly defeated. It didn't happen that time. Um, it was actually almost uh, uh, 100 years later in, in uh, 1887. The Slave Trade Act changed history, and William Wilberforce, um, as history always does, has been kind of pushed to the top and gained a lot of recognition and a lot of credit for accomplishing this great, great feat. But most people who have never heard of the name of Thomas Clarkson, who wrote the essay that kind of pushed this to the, the, the forefront and brought it to William Wilberforce, but he is in the fine print of history of the abolition of the African slave trade in this world. He is a world changer, even though he's down in the fine print. And so just as it is with Everest, and just like it is in the abolition of the African slave trade, and just as it is with every great thing that happens on planet Earth, it's the same in the kingdom of God. Because we, we have these names in our mind when we look at scriptures because we know Moses' story and we know David and we know Paul and Peter and James and John. Uh, but did you know that God has written into the fine print of his story many extraordinary people, many extraordinary people who have done valiant things to carry forth his mission and to build his church here on the planet Earth. Um, we, we see this in the book of Colossians in chapter 1 and chapter 4. Colossians begins with this greeting, which a lot of times we skip over those, right? You know, we go down to the good stuff, you know, but all scripture is the inspired word of God. And, and the greeting of, Col uh, of Colossians here says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So we see in the opening of this epistle, and most of the epistles, that the author named Paul is kind of pushed forward, right? And, and we've heard the name before. You know, he's, he's the, the writer of the bulk of the New Testament. He's the pioneer of, of, of the church, you know, as we, as we like to call it, and, and the first missionary that was sent out into the known world with the gospel message. And, and we kind of know Timothy, too, is because he was Paul's protege. He was raised up under Paul. Um, and he had the torch or the baton passed to him at the end of Paul's life. So Timothy now is going to carry on the mission. And so we see that they are the authors of this letter. But then when you look at chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, it gets really interesting. Yet I would be very surprised if there are, there are any people here this morning that have too much underlined in your Bible from verse 7 down to verse 18. It gets down to some housekeeping. 
you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff. And we've got some people that we've never heard of probably. And he's going to give a little shout out to this person and this so-and-so over here. And so many times we just kind of skim over that stuff and get back to the meat of the text, right? And so we know in chapter 1, Jesus says that in him all things were created. So that's good to know, that we're seated with him in heavenly places. That's good news for me. But why do I care about all the fine print beginning in verse 7? Can we just read it together? We'll be on the screen. Um, uh, you can follow along there. Because it, it might be the first time some of us have ever, ever spent some time here. It says in verse 7, Tychicus, or, or Ty, we like Ty, that's a good name. Ty is going to tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And you're like, this is why exactly I don't read the extra material at the end of the epistles, right? <laughs> it goes on to say, verse 9, he's coming with Onesimus, um, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. And they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, he greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Jesus. And you're like, oh, you know, finally, I heard of a guy. <laughs> and, but this is not, it's not really. This, isn't, this one is actually called Justice. And he's called Justice because at this time, in this point in history, in this culture, you don't want to be called Jesus at this particular time because there's a lot of stuff that's going on with a guy named Jesus, right? And so after the resurrection of Jesus, you don't want that name anymore. So he got a new one. And so now he is called Justice. Let's keep on reading. It says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers of the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. And now getting down to the geography. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Damos. Give my greetings to the brothers of Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Aripicus, Archippus, let's say that, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. So he just wants to give this little public kind of shout out, this encouragement to this guy, right? And then he says at the end, I, Paul, I write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. And so from verse 7 all the way down to the end of the chapter, there's 11 different people, 11 different names that are mentioned there. Most of whom the world has never heard of, but more importantly, whom the followers of Jesus probably in this room uh, have never heard of. Because, But there they are, included by the Holy Spirit of God in the unfailing word of God. Now, just like us, these guys were not looking for a headline. They weren't trying to get in today's message. They weren't trying to get into the fine print series this morning. They, were they weren't hoping that one day somebody would recognize that I'm hosting the church in my house. They were just wanting to serve the God whose grace had changed their lives. Like a lot of you that were serving at the park last night, right? You just want to serve the God who has given grace abundantly to you and share it with other people. So nobody here, trust me, is looking for a headline. We, we have a lead story here at Destiny. The lead story is Jesus. 
The lead story will always be Jesus. The lead story is that today. It's going to be that story next week. It's going to be the story after that. You know, so if you want to drop down to the next headlines that are the stories here, you know, it's not going to be, well, the greeter this morning just didn't greet me the way I really wanted to be greeted, and somebody didn't get me a cup of coffee. That's, no, no, that's not the headline. You know, we can go to a lot of places, and people want to push up the headline up to the front, something that is not the headline. And I, I think if we look at our opening headlines that we talk about a, a lot around here, it's going to be Jesus, it's going to be Holy Spirit is here, and that God is wrecking people for his purpose, by the glory of, of, for his glory, right? Those are the headlines. And so, you know, it's, 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 it's not, you know, that the, the roof is leaking, that might be true, whenever we get heavy rains sometimes around here, the roof leaks, but that's like down on page nine, and we're going to fix it, that's important to us, but the headline is, is Jesus, and so, so these guys weren't coming looking for a headline. So then why did the Spirit of God, who, who empowered Paul to write this scripture, um, why did he include so many people's names both in the greeting here and in the closing as we read? I think it's for two primary reasons. Um, number one, in the greeting, it says, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Because he wants us to know that God appoints people for roles in his story. He's saying that God has called me to do this, and he wants you to know this morning that he has a role for you in his story. He has a role for you in his story. He wants to entrust every single one of us that's sitting in this room this morning with a role in his story. And so we know Paul because if you read the whole story of Acts and you, you get the, the, the journeys of Paul and the epistles of all the letters of Paul, you get the big stroke of history. Um, you know that he had, defend, he had to defend a ship eventually. He, he had to defend the authenticity of his calling. Um, he had to defend the authenticity of the place that God had you know, placed him in, but he's also, I think he's kind of reminding himself here, he's opening this up, he says, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle of Jesus by the will of God, because at times, can you imagine that he would struggle just a little bit, man, I don't even deserve to be in this story, I was a killer, I was a hater of the believers in the church, and now he's called me to be a leader, so he's, he's, he's looking at this, and he's saying, I'm Paul, and I'm apostle of Christ by the will of God, he has called me, and he's placed me, and he's rescued me, and he's put me into this story, and so I've been entrusted, he's saying, with the stewardship of God. And so this, the second reason, he's first of all is reminding us and maybe even reminding himself that God has got a place for us in the story. And the second thing is why he put so many people names into the text, verse 7 down to verse 18, is because he wants us to remember today that the church is not built on the gifts and the talents of the few, but on the sacrifices of the many. Amen. The, the church that Jesus is building across the world is not built on a talented worship leader or a talented speaker or a talented marketer. It's not any of that stuff. The church is built first on the rock that is Jesus. He's the headline. And second, on the sacrifices of extraordinary people who just know the grace of God and they want to share it. And they just, they, they just open up their lives and say, you know, there, there's a wealth of varied gifts, you know, right here in this body, right here in this room right now. And, and with very, various abilities and, and so many opportunities to just jump into the story of God. And so, yes, there's a structure and there's a leadership, just like in the scripture here where Paul is saying, I'm Paul and I'm apostle by the will of God. But then you see the backside grace and you see everybody has access to that grace. Everybody has access to the Holy Spirit. Everybody has access to be in the story of God. Everybody. And so, 
It's, it's, it's that everybody has the same opportunity to be used in an incredible way to change the direction of history and eternity. And so it's the people of the fine print that God chooses by the power of his spirit to include in the word of God, in his never-fading, never-changing word of God. Do you realize that the grass is going to wither away and the flowers are going to die? But the people that we just read about um, just now have been forever etched into the never-ending word of God. Isn't that amazing? You know, and, and so Holy Spirit didn't say, man, we've only got one Bible to write and we've only got so much room, so we're going to put some of the big names in there. No, he, he, says, he says, no, this is the church that we're going to build and our, our, our church is built on the sacrifices um, of people that maybe nobody's ever heard their name. And he, and he says, this is, this is, maybe they're lesser known, but they are extraordinary in the move of God. People who are joyfully carrying the mission, my mission to build my church. And so one of them in, in this text is a guy named Barnabas. Uh, and I don't want to leave um, any of these people out, but for time's sake, can we just lift one out of Colossians today? And we'll, we'll go over a few over the next few weeks. But we're going to dig in a little bit um, with Barnabas. So down in, in verse 10, it says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, and Mark is getting reintroduced to the people here, as we'll see in the text below. But he is giving him some props by saying that he is the cousin of Barnabas. So apparently, being Barnabas' cousin is going to be a big deal for Mark. Uh, getting back into the kind of the good graces of the community, of the people this, that this letter is being written to. And so I'd like to just kind of lift Barnabas out of the story of Scripture here just a little bit this morning and figure out who this guy is. Um, and to do that, we're going to do a quick Bible study in the book of Acts. Anybody okay with that this morning? All right. You get to strap on your seatbelts because we're going to go quickly. So who is Barnabas? Barnabas started out with another name. His first name was Joseph, but when he came um, from Cyprus, Cyprus being the, the island in the Mediterranean, he journeyed as a Jew in Cyprus to Jerusalem, and he came and he joined up with the Jewish movement in the city of Jerusalem. So this is before Christ's gospel, the, the crucifixion, the death, uh, the burial and resurrection. He's a loyal follower of the Jewish faith here. But when Christ comes on the scene, Barnabas, he gets converted to Christianity. His eyes are opened. Um, he believes Jesus is the Messiah. He sees the power of the resurrection, and he puts his faith in Jesus. So he was Joseph when he arrived, but now a church is born. The New Testament church um, is born right there in Jerusalem. That's the first church. It's right, it happened right there in Jerusalem, right where Jesus died, right where he ascended back into heaven. Holy Spirit comes in, we know in the book of Acts, and just kind of rushes in. It's this mighty force, and this church is born right there. And Barnabas was a part of that church. You could say he joined that first church. His name was changed then as a nickname, if you will, um, from Joseph to Barnabas. And do you know what Barnabas means? Barnabas means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. He had a strength of honoring other people's lives. Um, so we're going to call you that from here out is what they said. You know, you have such a strength to honor other people. You're such a huge encourager of people. We're going to call you son of encouragement. And so that's Barnabas. He appears in Acts a couple of key places. Um, you'll see it in your notes if you're following along the backside of your bulletins. The first one I want you to see is chapter 4, verse 32. This is the early church. 
And let me read it to you. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great peace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles, which, uh, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, um, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's the first time that we see him in the story. He's doing something very ordinary, not necessarily um, super spiritual here. No seminary training, no particular gifting, no great stage presence, none of that. It's, I see that there are people among us who have a need. I've got a piece of property that I don't really need to have in my name. He sold it. He brought all the proceeds to the apostles. He put it at their feet and he said, give this to anybody who has a need in our community. So that's what happens. Barnabas sees a need. He knows he can make a difference. Um, he sells a piece of land. He gives the money to the church and history is made. Um, and as, and as I'm reading to this, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, what would it be like to be a day one investor in the church of Jesus Christ? <laughs> you know, I mean, all of us, you know, we think about investments. Maybe some of you have been involved and, in, you know, you think about, you know, man, I wish I would have invested in Apple when that came out on day one, right? I mean, Apple, the Apple, uh, anybody know Apple in the place this morning? Um, uh, that on December 12th, 1980, the IPO, the initial public offering for Apple stock was $22, okay? And 22 bucks, that's pretty good. So good or not, let's just say maybe you got together with a neighbor and you are going to, you know, go in heavy and you're going to get 10 shares. So that's 220 bucks, right? And so you and a neighbor went in together, um, we're going to go crazy, $222. Well, Apple has split a few times since that time, since 1980, so you wouldn't have 10 shares to Day, you would have 560 shares. Uh, and the adjusted price after splits, you wouldn't have $222, you would have $80,640. And so, you know, that's when you turn over to your wife and said, I told you we should have invested. I told you. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but you, you can imagine if you were one of the original investors in the church that Jesus is building, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Just, just think about it with me. You know, you showed up on day one. There's needs everywhere. Um, there's ministry. The gospel's being proclaimed. Jesus is alive. Li lives are being transformed. And you had a piece of property that you really didn't need. Um, you sold the property. You really didn't miss it. You, you really didn't suffer a lot from this sale. You took the money and you brought it to the apostles. And you said, give it to whoever has a need. And, and now you're going to get the compound interest of that gift. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, that Apple investment was like a 36,000% you know, return on that initial investment. That's pretty good. But nothing like investing in the kingdom of God, right? And so God is saying, Barnabas is just a guy. He's, he's just a guy that's in the story here. And there's a lot of people that have never even heard his name. But his investment has made such a difference in the lives of other people. He was a part of that first church and birthing it. And it was his investment that made a lot of this possible. And so just imagine if heaven really is us tapping into the payoff of the investment of what we give here on the planet Earth while we're here. Think about Barnabas in heaven right now. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the return on that investment? And so 
then for me, it's less of the, you know, oh, life is hard right now, come Lord Jesus. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen with the country right now, come Lord Jesus. You know, I don't know what's going to do. And it's, it's like, no, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the country's going to do. Can you, can you just give us another couple years, though, because I want to invest <laughs> whatever I have, even if it's this piece of land that I don't need. I want to invest and be a part of your movement on this kingdom because I know that you're going to do things that's way above what I can give it at, you know, with this just and what I can give, then you'll take it and you'll compound it. And you, you, you see the fruit of that? You see that? And so lives are changed all over the world because it's not about just hitting the eject button when it gets hard. It's about investing in what God is doing and being a part of the return of heaven that will blow our minds. You see that? And so Barnabas was right there on day one and Barnabas invested in the move of God. That's what he was doing. The next place we see him, it's Acts chapter 9. Saul has been converted. Saul was a hater of the church, a persecutor of the church. Um, He stood by when Stephen was stoned to death, and now he's on his way to Damascus to imprison and to terrorize the followers of Jesus in that city. But on the way, he has a revelation of who Jesus is. His life was changed. He goes blind temporarily. And as other people of the fine print come along, we read about this story when we were in the Habits uh, series, if you're with us. Um, And now Paul becomes a force for the kingdom. And so he begins preaching in the synagogue in Damascus, and people are saying things about him. Look down in verse 21, chapter 9. It says, is not this, the people are saying, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? So the people in the city were like, uh, we remember this guy. <laughs> we remember this guy. This is the guy that, weren't we all afraid of him? And now he's wanting to come to the Bible study. Uh-uh. <laughs> he's wanting to come and preach the gospel. Eventually he's getting, he's getting so popular in Damascus, that the Jews there, which he was one of before, before his conversion, that was his camp. They were trying to kill him. And they said, you know, Paul's basically saying, he said, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. That's where God is calling me. So he goes back. The people there don't want to have anything to do with him. And a few verses down, this is what it says. When he came to Jerusalem, verse 26, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. It makes sense, doesn't it? They were not afraid. They are not believing his story. It's like, no, this is a plant. This guy kills Christians. Don't tell him where the Bible study is. <laughs> we don't want him there. And so that's what's going around in Jerusalem. But look at the next verse, verse 27. But, and here's our guy, Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road Paul had seen the Lord who had spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out, Paul, among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, Paul goes on and he, he has debates with the Jews and they try to kill him. The story unfolds. Paul becomes a leader of the early movement of the expansion of the of gospel in Jerusalem and actually um, of the whole known world at the time. Just like Acts 1.8 said, you know, in, in all Judea, all Samaria, all to all parts of the earth it's happening what was prophesied is happening and it's happening through Paul and so Paul is a major catalyst in that movement but let me ask you the question how did that happen it was because Barnabas stood up and he stood in the gap and he vouched for him and he he's the son of encouragement right he comes in there and he says this is Paul he's my friend Jesus met him, and let me say, you, you can listen to this guy. It's safe, guys. 
He, so he comes in and he goes before them. He opens the door and he makes uh, an introduction and he makes a connection. You ever, you ever see anybody in the kingdom of God that's just connecting people in the kingdom? It's like you go here and you go here and he's making connections. That's what Barnabas was doing. And now Saul, who becomes Paul, does everything history was recorded about him. And I just want to point out who was holding the door for him the whole time. As we, as you'll see it as we continue to read this story. Who was holding the door? Barnabas was holding the door. And, and making a way for all this connectivity for Paul to happen. So the third place that we see Barnabas is chapter 11, verse 19. Stephen has been martyred, and when that happened in Jerusalem, all these God-fearing Jews um, and followers of Jesus, uh, uh, they were scattered. They were, they were fleeing. They were getting out of there. We've got to get out of here. Things are getting dicey. So they're, they're getting out. And that's what we see happening in verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the per persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So still... It's an insider story. Jesus is the Messiah. He really did raise from the dead. There really is power from the Holy Spirit. They're seeing that, and the message is migrating through the Jewish synagogues and all the cities of the known world. The Jews have been dispersed, though, because of these imprisonments and this hardship that the Jewish people have been through century after century after century. And so the gospel is spreading now, and then look what happens. It says, verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. What news? What news is, are they seeing here? That there are amazing things that are happening, uh, particularly in this place called Antioch. And it says, news reached Jerusalem, and so they sent. Who did they send? Barnabas. They sent our friend Barney to Antioch. And in other words, news had gotten back to the church in Jerusalem, the, 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 the founding church, the, the, the movement where the, where the Holy Spirit had come and um, came on them like fire, came back to that church, that there's a move happening, and it's happening up in Antioch. Antioch is at the top of Syria, which would be like southern Turkey right now, um, and God is breaking out there, okay? So the church in Jerusalem is concerned, though, because, you know, they're asking the question, is this the true gospel? Is this the real story of Jesus? Because this is, this is the early days of Christianity, and they don't want anything to be added to it or taken away uh, from it. And this, so they're asking the question, is this the real story of the Beth, death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus? So, um, and we need to send somebody to make sure that Antioch is on the right track to encourage them. So who are we going to send to encourage them? I know, let's send the son of encouragement. Hey, Barney, do you want to go? And, you know, did he respond, well, you know, I already sold a piece of land. Y'all do remember that, right? Did he respond that way? And, you know, I mean, I introduced Saul to everybody. Hello, that was me. And now you want me to go to Antioch? No. He, his response was absolutely. Barnabas was available to be used in the move of God. He was just available. You want me to go? Yeah, I'll go. And off he goes, and the story is mind-blowing. He he's heads off to Antioch, verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all. Some translations say encouraged them all. Why? Because he is the son of encouragement. To remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. 
So Saul had trucked out of Jerusalem by this point, and he ended up back in his hometown of Tarsus. And Barnabas says, you know what I need? God's doing lots of really good things here. The church is being stirred up here. Um, people are getting saved. But you know what? I, I need Paul uh, or Saul here to help me build up this church whose name had been changed to Paul. I need him. He's a good communicator, man. God could really do some stuff through him. So he decides he's going to go and bring Paul, uh, bring him back. So for a whole year, they met with the church. And they taught a great many of people. And, get the news flash here, the disciples were first called Christians. And so the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You know, before this, we were called people of the way. But then all of a sudden, there was this moment in time at a, a specific place at a church where you, when you put your faith in Jesus and you decided to follow him with everything, with your entire lives, they were called little Christ or Christians. And so the very first time... Anybody was ever called a Christian was at a church in Antioch under the leadership of a guy named Barnabas and his friend Saul. This guy is literally rewriting history, and no one even hardly knows you know, Antioch, and most people don't know Barnabas. And it's all down in the fine print, but it's our fine print. And it's, it's our God building an incredible church not on the gifts and the talents of a few, or the, even the ones that are platformed, like Saul, but on the sacrifices of many. Barnabas helped birth the church. He joined the church in the movement of God. He joined it in Jerusalem first in the movement there. But here you can see him. He's just in the middle of it. He's in, the, he's in the first place where they were called Christians. And then we see a fourth place, one last place that I want you to see. In chapter 13, the church at Antioch. Uh, in the church at, at Antioch, verse 1, were prophets and teachers. Okay? And so then we're going to name them. Why? Because that's, God likes naming people. You, you look at it in Scripture. The headline is Jesus is alive. Holy Spirit is here. God is wrecking lives for his glory. But I don't mind, you know, naming some amazing people. Not giving headlines to people what Jesus is saying, but I want you to know that I'm weaving in maybe these lesser known people, but extraordinary people into this story of what I'm doing in the world. So that's what's happening here. There were five leaders of the church there at Antioch, five of them. We already know Barnabas and Saul, but who are the other ones? Simeon, Lucius, Manaen. Have you ever heard of any of those guys? Leaders in the first place, the first church where we were called Christians. No, unless you're a Bible scholar, if you've done like 17 Beth Moore Bible studies, probably not. <laughs> Some of you have, <laughs> right? But we don't know those names. Um, and, and so, but they are what we would call the people of the fine print. They are the way by which God has chosen us, chosen to build up his church in the world, and he hadn't forgotten them. In fact, he sees them and he records them and he registers their names in the unchanging story of God. I just love that. And so it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. They became now not just property sellers and, and uh, donators to the great cause, not just connectors who are using their um, influence and opportunity to connect people, and not just overseers, you know, who are following the leadership of the church and doing what, you know, they were telling them to do. But now Barnabas takes up the mantle of becoming an ambassador of the gospel to the whole world, if you will, to the whole known world. 
And so off they go on this first missionary journey of Paul. Can we, can we just go on this journey together today? Just really quickly, I want to put up a map and a graphic, and I want to show you on this journey that they went on, help you follow it. You can try to follow along up on the screen. So they left Antioch, which was not right on the water, but was a port city um, nonetheless, and it was, it was accessible to the Mediterranean. And they went to Seleucia. Can you tell your neighbor they went to Seleucia? Ah, very good. <laughs> Thank you. And then they sailed from there to Cyprus. That was the island where Barnabas was born um, when he used to be called Joseph, okay? So they went to Sal- Salamis. I like to say Salami. But they went to that place. And then they went all the way across Cyprus to Paphos. So they covered all of Cyprus, basically. And then they said, okay, where are we going to go now? Holy Spirit is leading them. And they sailed up to Perga and to Asia Minor. And they went north from there to Pisidia and to Antioch. Not the same Antioch. This is a different uh, city of Antioch. Then they went over to Iconium. They left Iconium and they went to Lystra. And that's when things started going a little bit crazy. Um, I'm sure there's there's so, so many stories along the way. But this is what happened when they get there. They healed a man. Um, and uh, God used Saul to do that. And when they did that, the, the people there just lost their minds. They, they, they saw that, and they thought that they were gods, and so they started calling Barnabas Zeus, and they started calling Paul Hermes. And the temple of Hermes was nearby, so all the devotees of Hermes brought all their wreaths, and they brought all their gifts, and they came because Hermes had showed up. I mean, this was a big deal to them. You know, how amazing. So they came to Barnabas and Saul, and they began to worship them as gods. Well, Barnabas and Saul, you know, they, they see this, and they say, you know, you know we didn't come to get the headlines. Um, you know, Jesus is the headline. And so they kind of backed away and said, no, 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 we don't want your praise. We want to tell you about the one who deserves the praise. We want to tell you about the true God. And so the people began coming to Jesus. They're telling them about Jesus, and people are, are coming to Jesus. And, but pandemonium was still breaking out. All of this was happening. And, and, and Lystra, to the degree that the Jewish people in there, he said, we've got to shut these people down. And so they get permission to stone Saul in Lystra. The guy who used to stone Christians is now being stoned for being a Christian and for talking about Jesus. And they stone him in Lystra, and they drug him out of the city and left him for dead. Done. First missionary uh, journey is over. But he came too. He didn't die. He didn't die. They didn't kill him. And when he woke up, he said, okay, this doesn't feel great, but I'm alive, and our mission is Lystra. And I wasn't through with the message, so let's go. Now, can you imagine Paul walking back into the city? <laughs> they went back into Lystra and finished the message. Can you imagine how, how amazing that was? You know, Paul walks in and he says, hey, everybody, it's me again. <laughs> I, apparently, some people didn't want to hear this, but this is too good not to finish. And God has called me here. I was, I mean, how many people would do that? Not too many of us, right? Because the movie would be called, you know, I was stoned in Lystra, right? Uh, But I lived miraculously, and I'm going to be on Oprah tomorrow. It's an incredible story, right? That I get to tell. But for most of us, if that happened, we'll keep on telling the story maybe, but probably not starting in Lystra. Not Paul. He said, I've got a mission to share the gospel of Jesus with the people there. So he went back to Lystra, finished preaching, and then they left Lystra. They went on to Derby. After that, they retraced their steps and went back there again 
to strengthen the believers there because Barnabas was the son of encouragement and he was good at encouraging the church. They traced their way all the way back down. They added a little jog over to Attila on the way back and they sailed back to Antioch and they told the people there at Antioch everything that God had done. And the church in Antioch rejoices. Why? Because Antioch was the first gospel-sending church to the non-believing Jews on planet Earth. That was the first great commissioned church and it was in Antioch. The first Christians, the first gospel-sending, great commission church in the world. All led by who? Barnabas. Led by Barnabas, a guy named Barnabas who went willingly to oversee it, who pulled in a guy named Saul. He said, Saul, I think, I think we need you here. You can, you can do a lot of good here. Who turns out was an amazing speaker in the power of God. Very influential, used by Holy Spirit. They went on a little jaunt and shared the gospel with a whole bunch of other people and came back to Antioch to report everything that God had done. The people rejoiced and celebrated that everything was going just like God had said. The gospel is going to be preached in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the outermost parts of the earth. And if you go right now and if you Google the first missionary journey of Barnabas, you know what you're going to get? The first missionary journey of Paul. <laughs> because Paul, in history, has gotten pushed up to the top of the stack. But you read it for yourself. You read it here for yourself this morning. Everywhere they went, it was Barnabas holding the door and Saul. And then history flipped them. It could have been, you know, Hillary and Norgay could have been Norgay and Hillary. Clinton, Wilberforce, and Clarkson could have been Clarkson and Wilberforce, but history always wants to push one person to the top. God's kingdom wants us to know now it's the people of the fine print who make the story of God possible. Amen? I could talk about so many, so many people that are extraordinary people in the move of God here at Destiny. And for so many of you, you wouldn't even know their names. And I want to highlight just one this morning, Woo. just like I highlighted Barney. And this isn't fair because she's actually on staff with us, but I'm willing to bet that there are several of you that wouldn't, wouldn't even know that if you're new to the picture. But um, you see Linda, who had a birthday this week, <laughs> by the way. She works on our accounting bookmark uh, bookkeeping team, and she manages numbers. Um, she oversees documents that um, I don't even know what the documents are, but she just, you know, they go across my desk and I just hand them to her and somehow we're still Foursquare. Um, <laughs> and which means that when all the resources goes into these planner buckets today and the digital vices that are over here, it's her and her team who are carefully stewarding it so that every single dollar of it gets spent where you intended it to go. And her team, her team means Lori, um, they do that completely out of sight, in a secure location, kind of hidden in the backside of our offices. If you've been in our office, you know where it is. She, she could be back there and people who are visiting to the office wouldn't even know that they were there unless we kind of put them in the backside of the, the corner of the office there. Now, Linda has some recognition around here because she's been around here for so many years. So if you've been here a lot of years, you probably know her name. But her name doesn't get a lot of billing here on a Sunday morning, right? And I'm just guessing maybe that nobody's going to really be talking over lunch about how Linda is just so amazing at crunching those numbers, even though she is, <laughs> and doing all the other stuff that she does. 
And the list is so long, I wouldn't even be able to begin to tell you all of the things that she does and all of the, the real, the teams that she leads. She is an ordained pastor, if you guys didn't know that, which is a big deal. Um, <laughs> and let me tell you something about Linda. Um, there, she, we, we wouldn't be running this morning if it wasn't for uh, Linda, who is in the fine print of this story. Let me tell you, uh, uh, there's a lot of us that like to go home at a certain point in the day, but Linda is here almost every single weekday uh, when the sun goes down. And she works a full-time job, and then she comes over here, and she does all that she does for the church. And it's not for glory, and it's not for a headline. It's a, it's a person that, that's working in the fine print of this story, but is an extraordinary person in the story of God. And we, a lot of us, we wouldn't be here this morning. Destiny wouldn't be what we are this morning without Linda. <laughs> Barnabas did five things. We wrote them down. He joined the church in Jerusalem. And listen, we have a track. We have a track. We have a way to become a member at Destiny. But it's not about signing a form. You know, it's just not. You know, we have, we have the growth track that we do. And I, I love to, to, to bring people through that. But we are a living, breathing move of God. A family trying to serve Jesus together to change the spiritual climate of Rapid City in the world. And so this isn't just a country club where you just sign, you know, your name on a piece of paper and put your name on a list. You join us by putting your shoulder up under the vision. Barnabas joined. Barnabas invested. And so when we talk about, about the sacrifices of the many, there are so many of you that are door holders, serving the vision that God has for our church. And hardly anyone knows some of those names in the story, but those people made it possible for us to sit in these seats this morning. And so week after week, people are giving of their lives so that we can be touched and changed and wrecked by the power of God for his glory. They make it possible. And so Barnabas joined, he invested, he connected, meaning he just looked for the opportunity, and he was available. He oversaw faithfully, and then eventually, under the leadership of the church, he went out as an ambassador. He was sent, and all of us can do that. Let's stand this morning. Do you realize today that we are in extraordinary times, and we have an extraordinary opportunity don't bother me with all the talk about people leaving the church because I believe that when the church really gets this, when we grab a hold of our story, of our part, we aren't even going to have room in the overflow. And that's when we get the new sanctuary built. <laughs> because I believe that, that when the church really gets this, you know, that even in our, in our new sanctuary, if you don't know, that the building right behind us is, is, is the dream of our founding pastors and they had visions of of this church overflowing. I believe that's gonna happen. We have people that are in your story, people who look just like you, same heart as you, same needs as you, same longing for God to change their lives as you. Let's step into the vision that God has for this house where our founding pastors saw those, those hundreds of people coming in, coming to know Jesus for this first time right here on this property. I can see it, I hope you can too. It's not about, it's not about this building. In fact, I would love to see every single church in Rapid City filled to overflowing and, and have a, a building problem. That we, we just, we have to plant some more churches because there's not enough room. 
how are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? It's going to be the sacrifices of the many who are going to get us up and running in full power. And hello, the opportunity is now, if you can see it. The opportunity is now. Can you see it? How is it going to happen? That we partner with the move of Jesus in the city and with other churches that are in tune with the Holy Spirit so that this city is rocked by the glory of God. How is it going to happen? It's going to happen not because of the gifts and the talents of a few, but because of the sacrifices of the many. And so you don't have to be a church leader or a worship leader or a preacher. You can just be a son of encouragement. (laughs) Because Paul made it on that first whole missionary journey because of Barnabas that he now gets all the credit for. Because he had an encourager. Every step along the way, and he was saying, man, you're doing great. That message that you shared was incredible. Dude, when you speak, stuff happens. Don't worry about those people that are trying to kill you. (laughs) If you've got a son of encouragement in your back pocket, you can do anything. What is your gift, and how could the church be different because of your involvement in it? God, thank you for your people this morning for all the stories for all the purposes and all the plans so the fine print people aren't lesser there's no less than but they're extraordinary people in the move of God to do your purposes and your plans and so I I thank you for your reminder this morning about Barnabas about our friend Barney who doesn't get a lot of headlines But it was a part of birthing this movement that you had, this dream that you call the church, that we get to be a part of today. And God, this morning we say we want to be a part of investing in your kingdom and your plans and your purposes. So we say use us this morning, whatever that looks like. Whatever that looks like. We're not here for the headlines. You're the headline. We already got that covered. It's not about us. It's all about you. So God, we thank you for every single person in this body, every single believer and yet to be believer. We thank you for them. Bring us into your story this morning, your mighty name. If you're here this morning and you haven't said yes to Jesus or you're listening this morning and you're thinking, man, I I messed up and I need to resurrender my life. Well, you're here this reason. Uh, this morning for a reason. You're here to reconnect with the story that God has for you and his purposes for you. Amen. So with nobody looking around, don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to single you out. Nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to invite you into that story this morning. If that's you, just lift your hand up really quickly. I want to pray with you. Amen. Well, let's, let's pray this this morning. Will you repeat this after me? Father God, I give you my life. It's all yours. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying for me and being my rescue and giving me new life and pulling me into your story. God, thank you. My life is yours. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate this morning.